coming up next? What if we were found and we were committed like everybody else would be committed, the ones who's allied with somebody who is finally crucified? Or Jesus, is Jesus' promise is going to be kept? Is he going to keep his promises and send us something to help us along? What we find in response to their prayers is that the day we celebrate the, the Spirit alighting on all of them. Now, I wish this episode in chapter 2 of Luke's Gospel, I wish they had a YouTube for this thing. Can you imagine what the YouTube would look like on a day like this? Now, Luke doesn't give us a whole lot of details, so we have to make it up as we go along. But we know that there are certain things that happen. Number one, there is a sound of a violent wind. Two, tongues of fire appeared on the disciples. Three, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And four, they began to speak in tongues and everybody could understand each other. And at the very end of it, 3,000 people are baptized. That's the action. Luke doesn't give us a whole lot of detail. So perhaps today we can spend a few moments, a few moments, trying to imagine what it would have been like. I don't know about you, but I love summer storms. I love it. We have a back porch in our house, and when the Weather Channel tells us there's a big summer storm, I'm parked outside in the back porch because I'm waiting for that storm, and I love how it comes at you, you know. There's a little bit of a wind that starts teasing you, and then as it gets closer, it gets more powerful. By the time that the storm gets to you, you're going inside, you're going to shut down all the windows, but you're really excited about it because something very important is happening. The power of the Holy Spirit, in a sense, is being unleashed and you can feel it. You can feel it in a summer storm. And that's what I like to think is happening to them. They're gathered there. There's a storm coming. The windows are open. It's a, house, a windowless house. And while they're there, a storm comes in and starts throwing everything apart. It starts creating a mess. It starts upsetting everything inside of the house. Then the next thing that we know is that there is a light, a fire that lights on every one of them. A little flame that sits on top of all of them. If you stop for just a minute... Look around you and see if there isn't a flame sitting on everybody's head here today. Everybody has one of those flames sitting right on top of their heads. The last few years, my wife and I have uh, taken the opportunity to do a good bit of traveling. And while we've done our good bit of traveling, we've gone to uh, visit museums throughout the world, one of our favorite things to do. And we've encountered a lot of paintings famed by famous artists about the Pentecost event. And one of the things about the Pentecost event described by these famous artists is that every one of the disciples in every one of these paintings, just about every one of these paintings, is looking up towards heaven like this. With their arms of race, there's a dove up there, and then there's a little bit of fire sometimes. You can tell there's something exciting happening, but they're all looking up towards heaven. And I thought to myself, well, you know, these painters didn't read the Bible very accurately because the last time he said, men of, men of Galilee, men, men, why are you looking up towards heaven? Men of Galilee, why are you looking up towards heaven? Where's the action? It's down here. My favorite one of all the Pentecost paintings that I have seen is in the Prado Museum in Spain. And the reason why I love that painting is because the 11 disciples are gathered there. They're looking up towards heaven, and then there's a 12th face in that painting. It's painted by El Greco, and it is El Greco's face. And he's not looking up towards heaven, he's looking at you, the viewer. It's almost like saying to all of us, can you imagine this is also part of my life? It's not just for the disciples. Pentecost is not just for disciples, it's for all of us. He has a look in his face like, can you believe this is happening to all of us? He's got that flame on top of his head. And it's almost like the old army posters of Uncle Sam saying, I want you 
And it's almost like he's saying to you and to me, the, the viewers, the Holy Spirit wants you. It's for you. It's not just a historical event. And then, of course, they go out. People who weren't able to heal can now heal. People who weren't able to reach, or cannot teach, cannot teach. People who weren't able to preach are now preachers. People who weren't able to take risks can now take risks. People who weren't leaders now are able to lead. That's what happens to the disciples. And the world, of course, is changed by that action. And at the end of it, as they rush out and start speaking in all the languages that are understood by everybody else, the complete reversible reversal of Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel, when nobody could understand anybody, everybody understands each other. All of us are a unit of God's grace. All of us are God's children, and we can understand each other in the language of God. And they go out, and then 3,000 people are baptized. Now, what's that got to do with you and with me? Well, I suggest to you that the Pentecost experience is I have citizen experience for you and for me. And I think there are three things that can happen to all of us at, at the Holy, when we're touched by the Holy Spirit. The first one of this, something is changed inside of you. When you're touched by the Holy Spirit, something changes inside of you. As I've said to you a million times, I'll say it a million and one times, you can come to Jesus as you are, but once the grace of Jesus touches you, you can't stay as you are. You are a changed human being. And for all of us who have ever felt the power of the Holy Spirit, when we have had the experience of the Holy Spirit, you and I know that we have been changed by that power. Something in us changes. The second thing that happens, I think, is that you and I are given something important to do. Every one of us has a mission. Every one of us has a purpose in life. Every one of us is called to act on behalf of God. We are the ones who will act on behalf of God. And the third thing is that we're going to be thrown out of this church to do that ministry. Notice that in the book of Acts, these 12 folks who have been called the disciples in the gospel are no longer called disciples. From now on, they are called apostles. And apostles comes from the Greek word apostoleo, which means to throw, to throw hard like a fastball in a baseball game, being thrown out of here. That's why at the end of the service, for metaphor reasons, we're going to exit this church and end up outside the church, recognizing that there's a difference between church work what we do inside the church, and the work of the church, which is to proclaim God's love to the rest of the world, to proclaim God's mercy to the rest of the world, to proclaim God's justice to the rest of the world. And that's what we're called to do, and that is the work of the church. Inside we do church work, outside to do the work of the church. I can't tell you this in more important ways than I can say it right now. The world needs us. This world needs us to proclaim, to proclaim that we are all one in God. That we are all of us a unit of human, of human grace. That all of us are the same. Unprecedented, irrepeatable, and irreplaceable. Created by the same Creator, sanctified by the same Holy Spirit, and redeemed by the very same Christ. All of us. And there are two forces at play in our world today. There's a centripetal force and a centrifugal force. 
There are two forces at play in our world. One that draws us together, that one that pulls us apart. And I think the struggle of the world is a struggle between those two forces. The centripetal force, which I think is the force of the Holy Spirit, calling all of us together to collaborate, to work together, to see each other as a child of God. And the centrifugal force, which tries to pull us all apart. And what it yields is tribalism, and it yields isolationism. That's what we saw in London yesterday. It's a centrifugal force trying to pull each and every one of us apart. It's what we see in our society when we see a noose over at the African American Museum. It's the force that leaves the noose over at the Martin Luther King Memorial. It's a force that insults those women over there in Portland, Oregon, or whatever it was. All of us trying to pull us apart. And the power of the Holy Spirit, I think, is that centripetal force trying to pull us together. Trying to invite all of us to consider how we proclaim as the work of the church that we are all one. And every one of us deserves respect regardless of our, our, of our faith, regardless of our sex, regardless of our race, regardless of where we are born. Everybody, everybody is to be respected. I think the struggle in our world today is between those two forces. And it's a forces of spiritual power within us, pulling us apart, pulling us together. And then it becomes your responsibility and my responsibility to proclaim that centripetal force, the power of the Holy Spirit, where we each understand each other and where we can proclaim the goodness of God. Pentecost is not about the past. Pentecost is what empowers us to be God's people, sending us forth no longer as disciples, as disciples, but forward as apostles, proclaiming the kingdom of God, a kingdom of inclusion, a kingdom of justice, a kingdom of God's love. Amen.